Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to the episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. We're at it again. That's right. 2021 is going to be bigger than 2020 because 2020 during COVID, we had our Let's Talk Dubs and the wagons one crazy weekend. Well, this year, we're doing it again, and it's going to be September 24th weekend. Friday, September 24th, two strip cruises that night. Then Saturday at the Orleans Hotel and Casino, we're going to have a VW car show. After the car show, middle of the day from noon till 4 o'clock will be a VW Toy and Literature Show along with BMX and Skateboard Toy and Literature Show. That's going to be taking place inside the hotel, and then we'll all go back outside at 6 o'clock for the kickoff of the Let's Talk Dubs One Crazy Weekend Poker Run where we pay out cash money to those that win. So top three places, top three hands, get hard dollars. No checks here, cash money, baby. So for more details, go to letstalkdubs.com, click on Showtime, and you guys will see what's happening. If you came last year, you know how awesome it was. This year's going to be even bigger. So I'm excited to give this announcement out. George and I will put out a podcast coming up in the next week or so. We're going to get into more details on it. And the website, I will have additions to uh, not only the entrance for the poker run, because it's 50 bucks to be in the poker run, but it'll be 30 bucks to enter the car show. So the car show will be on Saturday, and we'll be handing out awards for that in all the different classes. So I'm excited to bring it to you guys again. I'm looking forward to seeing all those people that came last year, plus all the new people, and get some more dope footage of VWs taking over at the Las Vegas Strip. That's right, guys. If you've never cruised a strip, man, in your life, you need to come to Vegas and cruise a strip. I'm sure we'll have plenty of people getting video and lots of content out, and we'll put out another great video. I've been working on a video since last year that I'll probably finally finish up and put together to promote this event, and I'm super excited to bring that news to you guys. So September 24th weekend, mark your calendars, and the Orleans Hotel and Casino is going to be offering special room rates because this year is jam-packed busy here in Vegas, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. So I'm looking forward to seeing you guys out here for that, but this week's podcast. This week's podcast is with Rick Meredith. Rick Meredith has been, he's one of the older members in DKK. He's been in there for a long time, joined the club three years after it started. And he's got a long storied history and he's had his car forever, went into hibernation, got motivated by his pals in the club to kick it back on and start the project over again, doing more of a preservation. So you might know the car, it's a 67 four lug on on the uh, eight spokes. It's a cool car, it's been around for a long time and it's a great story. Plus we get some club history and a lot of in-depth stuff on that. And another announcement, the Grand National Roaster Show is on for 2022. It's going to be January 28th through 30th in 2022. So mark your calendars, guys. It's going to be one bad event because it's going to have a lot of VWs. There's a whole building specifically for Volkswagens this year and a, and a real uh, big selection of VWs throughout history. So it's pretty exciting. I'm excited to be part of it. So I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of you guys out there. And it's it's really our time to shine as the VW people. It's our time to to get stepped up and be special consideration for the Grand National Rose Show 2022. Sure you guys go to rodshows.com to check out their website of all the details for the 2022 Grand National Rose Show taking place in January. So I'm looking forward to that. If you guys like this podcast, and I know you do, the best thing you can do for me and for the rest of us listeners is share it with a friend. As the podcast grows and gets bigger, we're able to reach out and do more and have more fun events like we have coming up. So if you want to support the podcast, go to letstalkdubs.com, click on the merch, buy some merch, and support your boy. Pick up some merch. I've had some shirts in the in the works waiting to be made, some new shirts, and I haven't heard from my shirt people, so I'm going to have to reach out to them. But for sure, you guys can support the podcast by picking up a shirt, a hat, sticker pack, or whatever you like to support your favorite podcast. Uh, and if there's anything in, in, in particular that you guys think would be cool, reach out to me. Let me know. I know I've got some special edition poker chips coming out right now that are Let's Talk Those Poker Chips. And I've been toying on the idea, reaching out to a few people about uh, a watch, like a swatch style watch for Let's Talk Dub. So give me some feedback uh, in the uh, in the email response and let me know what you guys think of those types of things. What kind of cool stuff would you dig to have that said, had Let's Talk Dub's logos on it? So at any rate, guys, I uh, appreciate the support out there. I'm looking forward to more podcasts coming up uh, this week. Let's get into it right now with Rick Meredith, DKK Club member 
on Let's Talk Dubs. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have around the house. The 1974 Volkswagen, covered by VW Motors security blanket. Okay, everybody, on today's show, uh, I've got a guest with me today that uh, I've met over the past few years going to the DKP meets and the DKK and all the the cars and coffee open houses and the DKK uh, cars and coffee and all that fun stuff. But, you know, we go to these shows all the time and we, we run into people over and over again. And we every now and again, we're sometimes so busy down there, we don't get a chance to sit down and really kind of get some insight on where people are at and where they're coming from. So on today's podcast, it's my pleasure to bring on uh, Rick Meredith with DKK Car Club, and he's out of Lake Forest, California. Uh, Rick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. I'm looking forward to talking with you. You know, one of the things I've been impressed with, you've had your car for a long time, and we're going to go over all that history, but the way we always start the podcast is the same way. What's your VW story, and how did you get into Volkswagens? Well, you know, actually, most of the people in my club don't know this, but um, I was brought home from the hospital in uh, oh, wow. early 50s, Volkswagen Cabriolet in New York City. And obviously I don't remember it, but that was my first EW appearance, experience apparently. But you know, really where it started for me is you know, growing up in Orange County in the 70s, Volkswagens were just absolutely everywhere. And uh, my first car was uh, Mustang Coupe. But our best friend, we're still best friends to this day, uh, Eric Roos. Uh, his older brother, back on black, Calix 67 on Sprint Stars, you know, T-bars, Lucas Lights, the whole bit. And uh, being around that environment, you know, yeah. that just kind of set the... the the bug, for lack of a better word, in my ear. And in 19, so, in, 1978. in 78, I bought my 67. And 1978, yeah. So I've had that car wow. in August. It will be 43 years. And so I started doing the cow look thing with it, you know, lowering it and, and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, started working on the motor and, and all that. And uh, one night I was at, you know, we used to cruise all over. Cruising was really big. One of the cruise spots was the Orange Mall. Um, I was I grew up in Tustin, which is a little bit north of me, um, but in, still in Orange County. And so we would cruise the mall, and uh, it was actually with Eric in his car. He had a beautiful black 68. And some guy came up to us and gave us a flyer and said, hey, there's this club. You should check it out. So uh, we went and, and you know, next week I went to check it out. Eric was not a club kind of guy, but I was. And so I started hanging out with DKK and I joined them. Can't remember if it was 79 or 80. That's the. Uh, when I joined, and I've been in DKK ever since. Now, to kind of set the scene for a lot of our listeners, when you're growing up in Southern California and it's the late 70s and you're getting your cow look bug, um, you know, being in that scene, who's, you know, how fast, obviously you got to know because it's kind of the thing, like the guys, the cool guys in high school were part of the VW clubs and there's all these different clubs out there. Who are the clubs on the scene at the time that you know of, or is DKK the first club you hear, or is DKK out of Tustin area, or, or what kind of how's all that come together? Yeah, there were several clubs in in the area. There was a DKP two was still active then. They were kind of winding down, and uh, you know there was some other clubs in the area, but DKK was the one that really impressed me with the quality of cars. And it was, you know, I, I want to be part of this. And now DKK stands for Decliner Camp Wagons, which means? 
uh, loosely translated to the little war cars. The little war cars, right? So um, now every club, like we know German folks, is known for their their kind of uh, – the ironic thing is German folks, their heavy Latin influence and their specific style. And then you've got DBK, which is like the show stunners, and then you've got DKP, which is the street, the street racers. What was DKK known as? Uh, we were definitely a traditional Catholic club. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, when I joined, uh, one of the requirements was single color paint. But as we morphed into the 80s, uh, that kind of went by the wayside. We had a lot of cars with, you know, wild multicolor paint jobs and that and you know, what, what was popular at the time and a lot of cars in bright pastel colors, you know, there was Pepto. I'm sure you're familiar with Pepto yeah. and, you know, we had a lot of, a lot of colors, you know, a lot of bright colored cars and mostly a lot of fully polished alloys. That was a really big thing there then. And, but a lot of the traditional wheels too. And, you know, like my cars always had eight spokes on it. Originally, I had a set of copies, and then when I put it back on the road, I got a set of uh, original eights on it. So it's been running original eights. Now let's talk about that history for a little bit, right? So you you, you have your car. A lot of us kind of go through this evolution where we have our car, and then we either take a break. Some people are lucky enough to hold on to their their first car, but there's a time when maybe you take your car off the road. And you're part. You're you're all in and invested into the scene, and then things change. The temper of the club changes. I I don't know what it is, but for, for a short time, you take your car off the road, and then you go through a rebuild process on it. I mean, when you buy at the time you buy it, the car's 11 years old, so it's not that bad, right? Right. right. And it was really original when I bought it. Um, so I actually bought it from the second owner, so I'm the third owner. Um, but yeah, kind of the story behind my car is. It was my club car. I was a two-time president of DKK. Um, I was president for the very last OCIR bug-in. And uh, we, were, we won most rep club, the last four. And the last bug-in, we had 42 cars. Wow, 42 cars in, in one car club out of Southern California. Right, right. We, you know, we were we were big. But a month after the last bug-in, so November 83, I was driving my car to work and, uh, you know, looked over my shoulder to, you know, merge right. Car in front of me stopped, ran into the back of it. Oh, wow. And so that was November 83. And so towed the car home uh, and set it next to my mom's house. And at that point, I was working full-time selling auto parts and kind of got to a point in my life where I decided, you know, there's not a lot of future in this. So I decided to go back to college. So Mm -hmm. I went to Cal State Fullerton, and the car just sat. And uh, I mean, impact like that just is kind of takes the wind out of your sails. It makes you just like you question everything. You know, you're just like, you know what? What am I doing with my life? You know, like, right. I, I got I to gotta change directions. Things aren't pl- coming together, <laughs> right? Exactly. So, and it's funny because looking back on it is, I don't know that if I hadn't wrecked the car, I would still have it because, you know, as, as we get older, life priorities change and I probably would have sold it if it was a running car, but because it was wrecked, I kind of felt, well, you know, it doesn't have a lot of value and, and that kind of stuff. So I just kind of held on to it. And now, one of the things about your car, you've you've got the eight spokes on there. How long have you been running? Have you did you put where you had eight spokes on in the eighties? Like you upgraded to four lug brakes, or yeah, yeah. In in seventy nine, I put got some junkyard Carmen Ghia spindles. I was selling auto ports, so I bought. You know, brand new Type 3 calipers. The rotors are the same. And then converted the front to Carmen Ghia disc brakes. And then the rear, I just put late uh, drums, cut the nose off the uh, drum so it would fit on the shorter axles. And, yeah, so I've been running eights. 
And it's it's interesting because that's during the time that everybody kind of regresses to when they're building their traditional cow lookers. But, you know, I certainly remember a lot of cow lookers pushing into the early 70s cars and a lot of four lug cars that were cow mm-hmm. lookers. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. the, the, what some people don't get, you know, when they're so committed to building this real rigid cow looker is that in the 70s, it was an upgrade to do disc brakes and change it to four lug and all that kind of stuff. And everybody says, oh, no. You got to keep the five lug because that's traditional. But it, but it, it really wasn't if you were a performance guy. Like performance guy, you wanted brake, you wanted disc brakes, you wanted better, bigger brakes to match the motor. You know. Oh yeah, you got to make it stop before you make it go. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, you know, at, at this time in this iteration, when you're back in the seventies, what was your performance upgrades? What was the list of the things you did on the first generation of the car? Well, the the. You know, I, I rebuilt the motor first time. I was putting Cadrones on it, and I dropped the washer down the intake, uh. went past the valve. So it's like, okay, I'm into this heavy. So pulled the motor out of it and went through it. First motor I built was a 1641 with the, the switch over to dual pork heads running to drones. And then after that, I decided, you know, I need, I need some more. So at that time, I'm still running the original 67 motor, the H case, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, bored it out for 90.5. So I was running 1776. I had a, a VZ35 cam, which is just a nasty cam, and uh, ported heads, scat track talls, IDAs on it, and pretty quick little car, you know. And that's that's the motor that was in the car for the longest time. <laughs> Was in it when I crashed. And what was the what was the displacement? Was it was a 1776? 1776. Yep. And did you ever run that car on the track? No, I, n- I never did. Uh, one of the things that was important to me is I kept a stock gearbox in it. Back then they were our dailies, and I didn't want to cruise the freeway 50 miles an hour. Yeah, that, so, we talked about that on the podcast with John Erksey. We talked because he had that, that Mickey's five speed. Right. Right. And, and it's like. You know, when you make that commitment, I mean, I remember the first time when I, when I, when I finally had a job and I built my 63 bug, no holds barred. It was a 2276. Um, it was super flow heads. It was 48 carbs and a close gear trans with Hewlett and straight cut gears in the tranny. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I was so excited to drive the thing and then so disappointed after, I, after <laughs> going down the road at 50 miles an hour down a You don't realize how often you're driving 50 miles an hour. And when you get a close gear trans, all steel mounted in the car, and it's like, you just hear those gears. You're like, oh, my heavens, man. This is the worst. It's like, I, I, I think I drove it for, oh, geez, had to be less than a week. And I was like, I was fit to be tied. I thought, man, I can, you know, because I was always into cruising the bug, but it was like you'd shift from second, third to fourth and almost felt no difference with that close gear tranny. Right, right. But Which is when, when I made my third iteration of cars, I did you know, Berg five speed in my type three gear. And then I've got a Berg five speed in my split coming up and, and it's the five gears make it so nice unless you're going to do big, tall gears, which is, you know, it's the other option, but yeah, it's, it's until you drove a car with a close ratio trans, it's a, it's a different experience for sure on the street. Yeah. Well, we had a lot of cars in the club that were set up that way. And I had the opportunity to drive them and, this is a lot of fun, but it's not for me. I want to drive my car. Yeah, it's more shifting than driving, you know? Yeah, yeah. So stock trans in that car, you kind of use it as a, as a nice peppy performance car. Um, Seventeen. I mean, listen, a 1776 with some good compression can put down the road pretty pretty darn quick. And yeah. you're running, do you, after the original rebuild, you were still running the caddies on there, the Caterons? Oh, no, IDAs, man. Oh, so you went right to IDAs? And what kind of heads were on the motor? Um, they were done by, uh, trying to remember the name of the shop, Headflow. They were down in Costa Mesa, mm-hmm. but they, they did the heads for me. Nice. So they were, uh, I can't, I'm trying to remember the valves. They weren't 44s. They might've been 40s and well, I can't remember. It's been so long ago. Yeah. So the car, so, so. Version 1.0 of that car, or 1.2, because you had it probably stock for a while with a little bit of attitude. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and and what's interesting, you know, in my mind is like since you've had that car since '79, 
I'm assuming at some point, you know, in the beginning, either had pulled leaves or a selected drop. And pulled I, leaf, man. Yeah, Way listen, out to the ground. Yeah, and and then I think at some point, you know, and where that's probably in the rebuild process where you start upgrading all to, to modern technology. So the car is banged up from the side of your mom's house. You you dip out and go to college, pursue a different path, and now you. What ignites you to get back? So will you leave the club or, you, or you're just kind of like you're not you're still in the club, but not active. Yeah. But yeah, I'm still in the club. You know, I've always been in the club mm-hmm. and I used to still hang around with the guys and, and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, as, as I shared earlier, we're all getting older and you know, starting families and, and you know, living our lives. So it. it became less and less we kind of went into hibernation for lack of a better word right and uh it's funny as we look back after we came back together several years ago most of us kept in contact with you know a few guys from the club over the whole length of our lives for me the two people i kept in touch with the one you'll know bill schwimmer bill and i've been friends since he joined DKK, and the other one is Danny Sickich. And Danny is still around. I still talk to him often. He still has his original club car. It's a red 67 Gia. It's been featured in magazines. Um, and I've been poking him all along, you know, and I think he's real close to getting that back on the road. But when I started my project, getting my car back on the road, I was already – already poking him, you know, you've got so much less to do than I do to get your car on the road. Let's get it going. Now, what spurs you to get back in the, like, where, at what point are you in your life where you're like, you know what, it's time? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of sad, but it was actually the uh, uh, passing of Mark Herbert. Yeah. I I was, I was there at that classic weekend. I remember that it was a, it was a, a bad deal. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I knew Mark fairly well, um, you know, and spent many years, many years listening to him, talking with him. And he was such so knowledgeable and he, he was a friend. And, you know, that was the thing that got me going. You know, our, our days are limited. And if I want to get this thing going, I need to do it. So, in 2006, uh, Bill Schwimmer, my son and I, pulled my car out from beside my mom's house, washed it, and, you know, started on the path to getting it back on the road. And so started in 2006 and got it back on the road. It took me... Gosh, almost 12 years to get it back on the road. With so everything. so what's the game plan? Now you see the car, the front end still crunched on it. And right. it's heartbreaking to look at it, right? And, yeah. And so the whole, the whole, uh, the plan is what in 06? Because technology still moves forward after that. So what's your plan in 06 with the car? Well, one, not too long after we got it down, got it out, I sat down with uh, Bill and now from Flat Fork now was in the country for an event and we kind of developed a game plan, you know, motor and uh, the whole, whole bit. And one of the things that I am thankful for Bill Schwimmer for is he convinced me not to do the car stem to stern, you know, repaint the whole thing. He convinced me, you know what, this car is a survivor from the eighties and you should build it in a way that reflects that. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to keep that 80s vibe. I'm not so into it that I'm only going to put parts on it that were from before 1985 sure. or something. Because there's been a lot of great technology that's come over the years. So I want to take advantage of it, but I want to keep the flavor of having an 80s car. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I've talked about it before. In the 80s, they, they everything wasn't a mega show car. You know what I mean? It was like clean, sano, and, you know, you didn't cut and buff the underside of the hood, and all that, you know, and all that kind of right, over-the-top right. stuff. But with the car being a survivor, 
you know, it, it there's there's part of that. You know, I just recently bought the red the red chop top that right, was in the magazine right. eighty eight, and and on that car, it's you know you, when when you when you kind of look under the skirt, she's not so pretty. You know what I mean? And, uh, <laughs> and like you open the hood, you're like, yeah, it needs a carpet kit because that you know in the eighties when we were building cars in the eighties, it was like okay, the hood of my car, it, it's a twenty five year old car at the time. I'm just going to get a carpet kit and then I'm done under the hood. And then I'm going to be, you know what I mean? Like, like those were the steps, right? So with, and that's where I get conflicted with, with trying to put back the, this car that I have. That's kind of a, that's kind of a, it, it's, it's a placeholder in time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I get conflicted with, well, I should, cause there's a huge hole under the dash where the guy like had some kind of stereo equipment and stuff going through there. And that, that's something I would have done when I was 18. Right. But now that I'm right, old, I'm like, right. oh man, I really ought to get that welded up and close that. And then maybe just have the underhood repainted. And, and so you go through this wrestling with yourself, but you know, you don't want, you know, there was one car that, that buddy rebuilt recently and it was a uh, Ragberry, right? Right. But right. he built Ragberry to the level of a Buddy Hale built car. Mm-hmm. And there's something, it's a great car. I don't want to take anything away from it, but there's something missing about like an original car survivor from the 80s or the 70s. And, it's, and I think what it is, I think what I'm putting my finger on is that it's the DIY aspect of it. It's like the guy yeah. was 18 when he did it. And, and you know, you know, I mean, my my first car, right? My rims were Ford, were Ford blue because that's the paint that it was a primered bug. I wanted some kind of color on my smoothies, so I got that Ford Grabber blue, and I painted the forty horse tins like that, and I painted the smoothies like that, and I put Porsche nipple hubcaps on it, and it was like, check it out, man! Look at that car! And they're like, what? What? And you're like, I painted the rims blue, <laughs> you know? But <laughs> it was like. It, because we're just young kids and we're, and we're, and we're assembling these things to the level of our a capability be our, our pocketbooks. But you know, that's, that's an art in and of itself, maintaining the original flavor of the car with updating things for like with, the, with the red chop that I have, I put a narrowed beam on it because I wanted disc brakes on it. And the, and the original BRMs have a really deep offset. And so, I mean, they barely fit with that selected drop, but you know, a selected drop for me back when I started driving would have been like a massive upgrade because all I did was pull Leafs, right? And right, right. But, but now driving a selected drop today is just like, holy cow, this thing is rough, you know? So now it's become a wall hanger, but, you know, we put the narrowed beam with the adjusters and I put drop spindles and disc brakes and, you know, and, and so now it's like I'm updating it to where you don't really see that stuff, but from a drivability standpoint, right. it's more comfortable to drive. It's, it's more... Uh, more up to date. So, what are some of what are the things you, you pinpointed? You took advantage of, like, okay, for sure, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. These are the things that I've got to do on the rebuild. Well, you know, I'm getting ready, hopefully soon, to do the motor in the car. Right now, I've got it's just got a mild motor in it that I bought from a club member, uh, Rick Aguiano. But you know, motor and trans is hopefully coming soon. Um, and what's uh, going to be your your pick of poison for that? Oh, <laughs> two liter with forty eight. I just picked up my IDAs from Gary Berg two weeks ago. I saw that they they look they look real good. You yeah, know? yeah. And I've been acquiring parts for years. I've got a set of denim heads with matched scat tractals on it. I've got a mag case with all the work that's done for it. It just needs to be opened up for 94s. It's kept for 90.5s, but it's been clearance for a stroker. All the welding's been done, you know. So I've just been acquiring parts forever, you know. This is this is a dream build in a way, and I'm not short-circuiting it, you know. I want it to be the way I would have built it. Yeah, and so this car was crunched in the front. Did you replace the front apron, the whole front clip on it? Yeah, the uh, front apron... Um, I remember. No, the quarter has, wasn't replaced, but the front inner and outer aprons were replaced mm-hmm. on the car. And then Octavio up in orange did the work for me, did a stellar job. And then one of the lucky things that happened was for back in the early 80s, I wanted to make it look like a European 67. Right, with the blades and, and that. Right, right. So 
just before the last bug in, I put on a set of early fenders with the, uh, you know, with the, the glass over headlights. So I still had the original 67 fenders in the rafters at my mom's house. So when we put it back on the road, I decided, you know what, we're putting the 67 fenders back on it's it's funny how that happens with us. Like everybody gets a bug, and it's not a glass over headlight bug. And I mean, I I can't I I don't know how many people have taken a, a 60, 67, 68 and later, and have converted to glass over headlight fenders because they want the early look. And it's like it's one of those. That's one of your first moves, right? When you when you <laughs> buy the wrong year bug and you show up at the bug, be like, check me out, guys. Welcome me into the group, and they're like, oh. You've got a late model. <laughs> it's your first. It's your first Starbelly Sneech situation where, like, I don't, I don't have glass over headlights. Well, I'm gonna fix that. It's and you think to yourself, it's just a headlight swap. You know what I mean? And then, or it's just a fender swap. But it turns out to be quite a bit more than that. But yeah, you know the and on the original and in, in the '67s, my understanding with some of the Euro '67s is they were four lug cars. Correct. Yeah, the 1500s. Right. Or four lug disc brake cars. And that was part of what I was doing is I wanted to convert it to a European spec 1500. Um, I've got, I never put it in the car. I have an NOS steering lock because all the yeah, you know, the deluxe had the steering lock. So I got one of those, you know, and just trying to make it look like a Euro- European market car. And now the car is, it's original Savannah beige, original Savannah beige, oh the car is, the car is about sixty percent original paint. You know, I ha- I had a Savannah Beige '67 that's disappeared into Elliot Vansel's collection, and uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, and, and I told Elliot I, I get I, I got first rider refusal to get that car back if he decides to get rid of it. But there's something about Savannah Beige about that color that I just yeah. I just it's just such a sleek color, and it looks. It can look, you know, I think maybe the reason why it's so appealing is because it's kind of like a monochromatic kind of vibe, you know, like the mm-hmm. like the like the early Porsches, and even you're looking at the new Tacomas and stuff. They're using colors similar to the Savannah beige and whatnot, but it was just a just a clean a clean color, and it's just a nice light color where it's not, you know, not not too bright, not too uh, not too dark. But I'm, I'm a big fan of Savannah beige personally. Um, it's <laughs> one it's one of my favorite factory colors. So yeah, absolutely. So now you up decide to upgrade suspension and everything on on the deal. Yeah, yeah. Right now, just like you, I went to uh, a, a two inch narrow beam with uh, uh, drop spindles. Got it all from Russell at Old Speed. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then in the back, I went to sway away adjustable spring plates just to be able to kind of fine tune to get get it to sit the way that I want. Yeah. Uh, I went ahead and put rear discs on it along with the front disc, and now it's a four-wheel disc brake car. Um, so that's that's basically the suspension setup on it. And so, getting that car, like the time you re-debut the car, how where's the where's the status of the club? And and let's talk about a little bit of that club evolution, because obviously it starts out as a traditional Cowlick club, but I think. I think what happens is when the club never really disbands, it kind of goes along with contemporary car design. You know what I mean? Which is why in the 80s you guys were getting some, maybe some fuchsia members and some guys with, you know, purple and lavender and whatever. But it's all part of that whole scene, you know. And so let's talk for a minute about the about the evolution of DKK and kind of how things have come along the ebbs and flows and the high points and the low points because we know that we said in, the, in OIC uh, the OIRC the last one that you had you guys had 40 45 club members 42 club members I think it was right and then where do we go from there right so the club's growing 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 and, and, and it's funny because I don't I, I'd like to I'd like to actually figure out what changed because it was the end of the bug in and was it was it was it the Super Beetle that that made such a difference? Was it? I mean, was it just everybody's aging out at the time? Like, why did the whole VW seem just seem to just seem to slow down right there? You know, I think at least for our club, I mean, the OCIR bug ends were our deal. I mean, that was our big thing, and uh, 
not having that to do on a twice yearly basis, I think that took a lot out of our out of our pockets in a way. And same thing, we're all getting older, um, you know, starting families, college, that kind of stuff. So uh, about 84, 85, the club just stopped meeting. And, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned Super Beatles. Uh, we actually had one of the first Calux Super Beatles in DKK. It was a car built by John Dean. It was called Dumper. Dumper? And Dumper. And it was a Porsche Raspberry Super lowered on fully polished alloys. It was a beautiful car. Yeah, that's the, and what year is this? Um, he was in the club before I I joined, so this would have probably been 1979-1980. And it's funny, there's three Dean brothers. There's uh, John, Mark, and Gary. All of them were club were DKK members, but never at the same time. Oh, really? They all kind of cycled through. Yeah, so they all kind of had the, they all had their. Uh their their run where they were uh, in the VWs then out of VWs. Right, right. So after you know eighty five or so the club pretty much stopped meeting like I said before, going into hibernation. Mm -hmm. And I was still doing Volkswagen events occasionally. I wanted to go hang out with Bill and and some of the other people that I know. Um, uh, people like you know, Glenn Gasky was a DKK member. Um, Craig Brinton and Dave Mason were not members, but they were very, you know, they were as active as any of our members. They just weren't members because they didn't have the proper car at the time. But there was a lot. And then Tiger is another person who was, you know, part of our circle. So kept in contact with Bill and some of the other guys and as DKP3 started to roll up, spent a lot of time hanging out with DKP3. And everybody in DKP is, they're awesome people, and, and I'm blessed to call them friends. So about 2000-ish, um, you know, I started wondering what had happened to everybody, and I started Internet was beginning to get big, and so I started looking for people and and you know searching for names, and I found like Henry Maeda was living in North Carolina, and I found uh, uh, Jeff Hicken was in New Jersey, and you know just started kind of, of reconnecting. But there are two things that really made it possible. Um, First, in 2003, uh, Stefan Sentai uh, did an article on the history of DKK. And so that was kind of a, a big boost for us. And that was really the first kind of retrospective article on our club that was done after, you know, afterwards. And then the other thing was, is, uh, Bill Schwimmer turned me on to a website that's called the Calic Lounge. Yeah. And, and it's a Calic website in Norway. And I logged into there and, you know, started talking and immediately people who knew who I was and, and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm the, the three guys that run that, uh, that board that's, uh, John, Trond and Beetlebug. I'm forever grateful for them giving a spot where we could pull all the DKK members together. And uh, we certainly wouldn't be where we are today without those two things happening. And, uh, and, and so w when everybody starts kind of waking up to like, hey, guys, we had a pretty good thing back then. Um, what's the deal? Who, who, who kind of starts spearheading putting things back together? Yeah, I guess that would be me. <laughs> yeah. Because I was the one who kind of kept the DKK flame going through the hibernation. And um, 
So we started reaching out and connections were being made. Um, I'd have to look at the date, but probably about 2009 or so, um, we decided to have a club picnic just to get everybody together, everybody who, you know, we could get a hold of. And so we started pulling together and then all of a sudden people start, you know, going, Hey, this was fun. I should build a car. And we had a lot of people build new cars, find their old cars. And, um, we have, I think I've traced down six or seven original club cars. Really? Um, that are still, you know, still around. Um, right now mine is the second oldest continuously stickered club car. Mm -hmm. Um, junior, uh, has a square back that was in the club before me. And those are the two running ones. Jim Smith has an oval window that's the oldest stickered club car, but it hasn't been on the road since, you know, the eighties. So we keep, we keep pushing him to, to do it, but he's got a sweet notch back. So he's, he's popping around in that. And (laughs) so, you know, he's getting his Volkswagen fixed in that. Yeah. So yeah, we, we started connecting and people started building cars and then, we decided, uh, Scott Blades suggested that we do a get together at, uh, uh, a bar and grill in Ladera Ranch. And so that was kind of our first club event where we invited other people to come. And it just slowly snowballed from that and reaching out and people you know, reestablishing those relationships and they want to build cars. Yeah. I, I mean, I was pretty impressed with, and, and the day that I'd gone to the, the, I happened to be in Newport about a month ago when I was on vacation with my family and, uh, I promised the wife I wasn't going to do any VW stuff. It was just going to be hanging out with the family. And then I saw there was a DKK cars and coffee over there at orange. And so I, I shot down there and I was pretty impressed with the turnout, even still with all the, you know, it was a little bit of drizzle in the morning and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, how big today is the club? Um, probably about 35 members. 35 uh, members. Besides the originals, we've brought in some new members. Uh, we're ha- at an average event, you'll probably find about two thirds existing members. And then a third of the people are, are people that have joined since we, we, reconvene now what's the criteria of the club is there a specific criteria f- to be in the club like what uh, you know the rules the cars the, the the look i mean what's what's the outline there well we're we're after traditional catalog cars mm-hmm. um you know in the we're very similar to dkp in that regard uh single colors i don't think we would let a multicolored car in right now <laughs> that may be subject to change but uh yeah and the most important thing and i think you can you probably know this from your history with dvk is it's not the car it's the person yeah and the person has to be a good fit for us yeah and have a lot of guys that have had great cars but they're just not a fit. And then we have, we've had a lot of guys that are great guys, but the cars aren't quite there yet. Right. And so we've worked with them and, you know, okay, this is what you need to do to your car if you want to be a member of DKK. And they've, they've stepped up to the challenge and become members. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, at the last Garden Grove uh thing that i just went to last week i definitely there was a a noticeable standout difference in the club's appearance as far as cars and level of cars maybe it's the first time i'm paying attention to it um, but there was definitely a lot of really nice dkk cars out there and um you know i really there were so a lot of standouts in in a in a in an area where there's a lot of cars that look the same and some of the things that i saw that were done in some of these cars were not so traditional, but 
they fit with the look. And that's kind of right. what, that's kind of what I liked about it. You know, I, I like when there's a little bit of variety. You know, you can only look at so many cars that are exactly right. the same. You know, so I think there's there there the, you have to have some latitude with a little bit of that customization. You know, there was one car <laughs> I saw they had the old Alpine pullout. I loved it. I was like, look at this, the Alpine pullout, man. Like that takes me back. It takes me back to my high school days. Right, right. You know, and yeah, we've always kind of done things. We've stayed traditional Cadillac, but we've always done things a little bit different. Like you look at Henry Maeda's 67. That's that uh, olive 67. Yeah. Traditional Cadillac, but a lot of stuff that you wouldn't normally think of Cadillac. Like he's running steel wheels. Yep. Uh, now they're heavily modified and, you know, they look the piece. It's got that, you know, outlaw street fighter look. And, uh, but it's, you know, it's a, beautiful car but it's some of the stuff on there is is pushing the envelope of cow well and 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 i like it and i i like it because it stands out and you know having the creativity in the club where it 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 pays tribute to all the right aspects of the hobby but it also it's got a little bit of personalization to it as well so i really I really like that. I like a, I like a lot of you know me. I like variety, you know, and so that kind of mixing it up is just super sharp. Now, any is there any history in the club where there may be people that were people that were uh, members or cars that we might not know that were uh, part of the club that uh, have been part of the club? Like you're saying, the Pepto Squareback was a DKK car. Absolutely. There's a lot of cars. We used to get some uh, good magazine coverage. We had several best of show winners at uh, Bug In or ones that were competing on that level. Um, I mentioned uh, John Dean's Dumper. That was uh, an America's most beautiful Volkswagen car. Of course, Mark Ramirez's uh, late model, My Toy. That was another club car that was uh, America's most beautiful VW. Uh, Kevin Brennan had a gorgeous oval window. It was like a, a medium light blue with uh, a beige interior. Um, a, lot, a lot of cars. Uh, Kevin Wood had a, a beautiful 69 Carmen Ghia. It's called Lemonade. Yeah. And... Uh, there's a couple of cars like uh, John Dean's brother, Mark Dean, had a turquoise 67 that was just off the hook. And as far as I know, it was never co covered in any American magazines, although it was uh, covered in some European ones. But it was a, a turquoise 67. I mean, everything was shaved. There, there was nothing on it. No, no trim, no uh, might have had door handles, hood handle was, was gone. Uh, it had very tiny, small lights for the turn signals underneath the uh, headlights, but just beautifully done. It was running uh, fully polished alloys. Uh, and I don't know that it ever got any recognition, but uh, it was a gorgeous car. And for me, that was one of those cars that was a, a standard barrel, you know, and uh, I still, I'm still in contact with uh, Mark, you know, talk to him from time to time and uh, would, he wishes he still had that car because it, it was gorgeous. Now, did you say the Super Beetle still around? Super Beetle, we don't know where it's at. That's, am I, I just, I just pulled up a couple of pictures of it online. It's, it's, uh, it's a dang nice Super Beetle, you know, and I think that was a feature car, right? It was a feature car, and, you know, you look at it, and there's a lot of subtle stuff that's done to it. Yeah. Like, it, it, he switched it over to the 68, 69 taillights and the 69 deck lids, so it's it's smoother, and the taillights are smaller. Just a lot of little detail stuff that you don't really pick up until it's pointed out to you. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely, uh, you know, and, and I could for sure see that thing in the 80s, man, just like shoehorned into the cool factor because so many people push against the super beetles man and i and i think that i think super beetles you know 
I've never driven one. Uh, that's the crazy thing. I don't think I've ever driven a Super Beetle and remembered it like it was intentional. Um, but if they're anything like a late model bus, they're probably way more comfortable to drive, and you feel like there's tons more room with that curved windshield. Uh, I, 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 right. vow, I vow one day to get a Super Cherry Super Beetle and German look the thing, but uh, we'll see. I mean, right now, I, I just I'm, I'm impressed at the look of this Beetle, and you know the way that it just fits right in the cow look scene, especially you know. In a in an environment where typically that's kind of taboo, you know what I mean the the, the right. super beetle thing. But I think the raspberry hits it, the the fuchs make it work, and uh, I think that's I think that's awesome. So with everything that's been going on in the club lately in the past few years, you guys have been ramping up membership with people, and, and it kind of it, I'm assuming it starts off with like hanging out with people that are a good fit personality wise. Now right. the, the club is just located in Southern California. Correct. And yeah, we're, uh, I mean, we're a uh, Southern California, Orange County club. Uh, we do have members outside of Orange County, but they've all lived in Orange County when they joined and then moved away right. for whatever reason. Um, we talked about doing out of state chapters, but the decision has been made, which I agree with, was just to keep a local Orange County. Yeah, it is. It kind of keeps it traditional to its roots, and there's right, some. Right. I mean, not listen. It's not always great when everybody can be a member. You know what I mean? Like there's some. Right. There, there's some. It starts out with like some local boys getting together that want to represent together their their high school against somebody else's high school, or their, you know, their city against someone else's. So, I definitely think that there's there's a lot of uh, validity to that. You know, um, so what's so next on the list for you is the big motor for your car and, a, and right. a built tranny and then as far as the club where do you see the club evolving to over the next few years like what what are some of the things where you're just looking at look, just enrich more friendships and and get nicer cars in the club like where are you guys at with that well, I, we're focused on keeping going what we've got going and expanding it uh, we do host a couple of events a year, depending. Uh, our big event is the Cruising of the New Year, which is always the first weekend after New Year's. And so... Uh, and what's that? What's the, detail, the details of that event specifically? That's, you know, it's just a, a cruise, kind of like the uh, Main Street DKP cruise. Mm -hmm. Just everybody's coming off the holidays. It's a good time to get together and and relax and just enjoy our cars and get together with, with Volkswagen enthusiasts. Now you, you said you had a little bit of history working in the automotive, like the automotive parts section oh, yeah. for a little bit. Now you were just a young, just, this is before college. You were just a young guy. So it was like the dream job for a guy who was in a cow right, cars. Right? right. I mean, uh, right. being able to pick up parts and all your buddies got connected and got deals on parts and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like uh, being an addict and working for the dealer, you know. Right. Uh, but yeah, I worked for a chain that was called Bap Gion, uh -huh. and uh, they were national chain. Uh, well, on the small side, they did import cars uh, with a lot of focus on British, um, Japanese, and and Volkswagen. Nice. And you'll see, like, every so often, Shin posts the poster of the Dapgeon Weber advertisement. We were, along with Redline, the biggest importer of Webers in the country in the late 70s, early 80s. Oh, wow. So you guys were you, you were able to get Webers at a good price back then. Oh, yeah. I, I hate to tell you what I paid for my first set of 48. Well, I'd love to hear it. What, what did the first set of 48s cost you? I want to say well under 200 Under $200 for a, a set of 40, Italian 48 Webers. Italian 48s, yep. Fresh wow. off the boat. Brand new. Yeah. Jeez Louise. And it, co and it costs a little bit more than that to have Gary go through them, I'm sure. So Yeah, these, these, aren't, <laughs> these aren't those. Those carbs are long gone, but... Uh, yeah, I, I did spend a little bit more than two hundred to have Gary go through my cars. <laughs> yeah, you, you know it's it's uh, it's 
neat the nostalgia that's there and and the the history of you know all the guys that were in Southern California because for you guys it was just a it was just a local job you know to work at the auto parts place but right there in the hotbed of the scene in Southern California. Who was your the, as a club wise? Who was your guys' big rivals? Did you guys have like a big rival club where it was like, oh man, those guys are gonna beat this this car show and we're gonna have to show them up? Like, you know, I think our our biggest rival was ourselves. Yeah, we were always trying to out outdo do you know what we had done the last time. That's why I really pushed to get forty two cars at the last buggin. We wanted to make a statement that you know we we were we were the club and most of the clubs in Southern California really got along for the most part. Uh, there was actually an inner club council council and most of the major clubs were in there. There was DVB, DSSK, um, who else? But yeah, a lot of the clubs that you would recognize were all part of this, this council and, for the most part, we really all got along well, and we'd support each other events and you know, just go and hang out. You know, I've been lucky enough to be in a lot of car scenes, and tell you, Volkswagen people are the best. You know, I, I had that conversation. I know snooping on your Facebook page, I saw a picture of a C10, and I don't know if that's if that's your C10 or if you're into so because we all we all we yeah. all have our dirty secrets, right? What's your dirty secret? What other cars are you into besides that? Even though this well, is a Volkswagen podcast, I, we still I, we I have a car a, I still have the seventy one C ten. Nice. The turquoise one. Yeah. And I also have a twenty six uh, T Roadster. Oh really? Yeah. yeah it hasn't run and well since well before I started on the Volkswagen project because the Volkswagen getting any extra cash goes to the VW. And the C ten, do you ever haul the Volkswagen with that anywhere? No, no, it's not really set up well for towing. Just the way way it's set up. Yeah. Um, it, we've it's been used for club support. You know, hauling easy ups and coolers and all that fun stuff. Coolers and <laughs> cables and that kind of stuff. Well, that's awesome, man. So, over. Oh, at, was there any point, with, like during the '80s, when you guys had the club, where it was like the bigger the display, the better? Were you guys getting getting cars that were like full on wheels off? You know, get. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. We, if you look at any of the pictures from the bug ends, you know, you'll see cars with wheels off. Like I know there's a picture of Ke- Kevin Brennan's '57, uh, you know, jacked up, wheels off. Uh, and then let's see, uh, Todd Fuller used to do that with his Carmen Ghia. He had a gorgeous, uh, 67 Carmen Ghia. And the neat thing was he had a, a buddy, Joey Grauman, who had a Datsun 620 pickup, was painted to match the Carmen Ghia, slammed with alloys on it. And he would tow the Ghia to shows with the 620. Oh, get out of here. I wish we had pictures of it. It was an awesome display. Yeah, that seems rad. <laughs> no, that would be so. I mean, I just I just recently had a Datsun pickup that uh, I bought, and I drove around. I, I mean, I just cruised around for a little bit, and it was traditionally lowered and all that stuff, turned the torsions in the front and blocks in the rear. And uh, it's just, it. as much as I love other car moniker, you know, I, I have a couple Corvairs that I just recently right. got into those a couple years ago. I've had some C10s. I've had, uh, shoot, I can't, I mean, uh, the list of stuff that I've had is is quite extensive. In my current stable, my other VW stuff that I have is my Riviera, and that's the bane of my existence, this car. I, I, that was the, um, uh, that was my rebound car. When I, when right. I blew up my Volkswagen, I said, that's it, I'm out of <laughs> here. I'm getting a 65 Riviera. I bought this Riviera, and it was like, this car has never been, it's never been 100%, and it looks so good, and it's so ready, and it's just like, and, and I think I think my plan for this car is finally get it finished, and then just sell it, because it doesn't have, I mean, it's a really cool looking car, but it just doesn't have the love that I see or feel for VWs, and, so I, and I don't get it, and like you said about the people, I've had Mustangs, I've been... I don't want to say I've been in a Mustang club, but I've gone to Mustang meets, and those guys are different. 
you know, like I've gone to some of these, uh, when I had an import, I go to the import meets, those guys are different, you know, everybody's just real, they're kind of different, and I just find something, there's something about the VW enthusiast that, that, to some degree, it makes them resourceful, accepting, Mm -hmm. um, friendly, you know, not not super clickish. You know, it's like one of those like it's like all the underdogs kind of meet up with each other and go, "Oh yeah, you too. All right, cool. I like what you're doing." You know what I mean? Like, like that. I mean, I haven't been able to put my finger on it, but 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 my longest friends that I've had from the car scene are all VW guys. You know, and it's just it's because I think it's in our blood. You know what I mean? It's like something about it. We're we're all the we're all the guys that kind of piece it together. Just. You know, it, it, and it, listen, the re, the reality is I think it's the, it's the, it's the plan to be cool is where it starts out. Like I want to be cool and those guys are cool and I can afford that kind of, I can afford that level of cool. So that's where I'm going, you know, but now I think it's, uh, I I'm thankful every day for the hobby. I'm thankful for, you know, this podcast that I get to do because I, it's, there's so much history to, to get documented and pick up and everybody's stories as much as some people would think that they're the same, they're so varied and different, you know? Yeah. Well, and you know, like when we started getting back together, I remember there was one day I was at work and I talked to uh, Mark Ramirez, uh, Mark Kesnick, and Dave McNew, like within about a four hour period. And most of these guys I hadn't talked to in like 25 years. And the friendship just picked up right where they were 25 years ago. Yeah. And it's, it's just that, that level. And it was so cool just to reconnect with all those guys after so many years. No, I think it's a, I think it's an awesome thing that, uh, that, that you guys have over there. And it, there's, there's definitely, uh, you know, especially with the stuff I've seen, you know, there's a lot of cars that are that are really some top level cars in the club that are really. And, and what I like is you guys are doing your own thing. You know what I mean? And uh, uh, I really, you know, kudos to you guys for keeping it together, man, because it's a listen. Sometimes club stuff is big drama, <laughs> especially when you're all young teenagers, man. It gets to be big drama real quick, you know. Yeah, well, and, and you know, any club is going to have drama. We've had our cycles of drama, but. I think most of it is we try to put the focus on the club and we may have different ideas of what's best for the club, but in the end we all come together. Yeah, no, that's great, man. Well, so the, the next event that you guys will do, I mean, you guys do your, your DKK cars and coffee, which is in orange California. Right. And that is, that's a uh, detail garage on uh, Tustin Avenue, South of Catala third, uh, Sunday of the month, unless there's a conflicting event like this in, in June, Buggin was the same one. So we're going to Buggin. Right, right. Uh, but, uh, the next one will be the 18th of July. It's every third, third, uh, uh, Sunday. We post on Facebook. So find us on Facebook. If you want to come out and check it out, we'd love to have you. No, it was definitely. Listen, it was definitely a good time. There's a lot of really cool cars that showed up over there too, and uh, and and if I listen, if I'm anywhere near there again when it's going on, you'll see me. You'll see my ugly face over there again. <laughs> so. Any any time, we love talking to you, Bill, and come by any time, and we'll show you some DKK hospitality. Well, hopefully, I get to see some DKK cars at this year's one crazy weekend here in Vegas that we're going to be doing. It's going to be the weekend of September 24th. I'm going to be finalizing the details with the hotel this week to get special room rates for everybody that's coming. But it's a really cool, it's a really cool hangout weekend. You know, we we secure the top floor of the parking garage. There's a poker run that we give away cash on. There's a couple a couple strip cruises and stuff. So it's a great time. I'd love to see some D, DKK cars come out to that man because I, I I assure you it'll be a weekend in Vegas you will remember. Well, I actually followed it last year, you know, and I was close to going, but with <laughs> covid and everything was going on i just and then you know i don't drive my car very far so it's like that's gonna be a long time at a Volkswagen. well that's what trailers are for you trailer it over the grade and then you unload it when you get to the hotel (laughs) we have special trailer parking just for that because listen i was telling someone the other day we were uh we, we were going somewhere and i said 
you know, a lot of people that live, uh, there's guys in Utah that their car, that their car, uh, they drove it down for bug in. One of the guys, Johnny Sox's car broke down. Right. And so he dropped it off at my house and, you know, uh, I said, I think what happens is the Utah guys have such nice weather in the summer. They forget about that spot from Vegas, <laughs> from Vegas to, to Cajon Pass, which is like, everybody's like, oh, you guys trailer your stuff. Like, yeah, because we live here and we know <laughs> what it's like an hour or two hours into your car at 112 degree heat and then hitting the two biggest grades on the West Coast practically. And it's just like, it, it's insanity. So listen, I have no shame in trailering my stuff over the hill so I can enjoy my weekend because... Just like you said, but when you're in a Volkswagen for that long, man, it, I don't care how old you are, it beats you up. You yeah, know? Johnny's been trying to get me to drive out to Utah, and I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. Yeah, and, uh, listen. He and Chris, they're hardcore, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's off the bat. No, no doubt. I mean, from, from Vegas, from Vegas to, if you ever want to head to the Utah show and you're headed this way, listen, I'll, 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 we'll, we'll soldier up with you and, and drive some Volkswagens up there because it's nowhere near as bad. That drive is nowhere near as bad, even though it's twice as long, nowhere near as bad as the drive from here to Cajon Pass just because of the heat and the grades. But, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. Anybody you want to send any shout-outs to before we wrap up or any that kind of stuff? Well, you know, one thing I, I would like to do is – there were several people that were really instrumental in me getting my car back on the road. Yeah. And that would be uh, Bill Schwimmer, Greg Brinton, Henry Maida, uh, Rick Aguiano, Jeffrey Hicken, and then the rest of, of the club. We had what we called Deke Squad events where the Deeks come out and work on somebody's car. And we had a couple of them over here. And I'll send you some pictures you can post on the blog. But, no, that's awesome. You know, it, the car would not have happened without the people I mentioned and the club. And really that's the best part. The best part I think is when you can call on your ding dong buddies after 15 years and be like, Hey guys, let's go. Let's come over and uh, let's do a little bro overhauling over here where we're going to get all the bros over here. And then uh, we can all uh, try to help one of us get back on the road because we've, we've all gone through that process and it's, it's one of those deals where, uh, you, you know who your buddies are who are willing to come yeah. over and turn wrenches on the car, man. So there's definitely there's definitely a lot of a lot of thanks to those guys for helping you get it back on the scene. And yeah. I'm excited to see you get your big romp stomping motor and your big tranny in there, so that way we can see you, fun. you click off some uh, some quarter mile yeah. times. There you go. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. And uh, and I'm sure I'll see you at the next event. Absolutely, Bill. Looking forward to it. All right, man. This episode is brought to you by VW Trans Magazine. To subscribe to VW Trans Magazine and support the relaunch of this magazine, go to VWTransMagazine.com. A magazine for the people, by the people, with lots of VW coverage of all makes and models, and even some classic water pumpers in there. So make sure, if you like this podcast, support VWTransMagazine.com. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I certainly enjoyed doing it. We've got more coming up for you guys. And don't forget to support the podcast. Go to letstalkdubs.com and pick up some merch. Until next week, guys. Later.